This is Dina Weiss for Hadar, on Parashat Naso, forbidding the permitted. In this week's parsha, we meet two fascinating characters. First, we encounter the woman who is suspected of adultery, the Sota, and her jealous husband. Immediately after the Sota, we are introduced to the Nazir, a person who takes certain ascetic practices upon themselves, allowing their hair to grow wild, avoiding contact with death, and refraining from all wine and grape products. According to the Talmud, the placement of the laws of Nazir and Sota right next to each other is by design. Comparing these two sets of laws can teach us even more about these characters and can reveal the dangers of taking an overly cautious approach in both religious and interpersonal matters. Rabbi Omer, Lama nismacha parashat nazir le parashat sota? Lomar lach shakol haroa sota bekilkula yazir atmo min hayayin. Rabbi says, Why was the section about the nazir placed next to the section about the sota? To tell you that anyone who sees the sota and her disgrace should act as a nazir by not consuming wine. Rabbi's teaching reflects the viewpoint that the Nazarite vow at least as it applies to not drinking wine, is a reasonable and healthy reaction to witnessing the trial by ordeal that the Sota undergoes in order to prove her innocence to her jealous husband. In his commentary to the Torah, Rashi quotes this teaching with an explanatory addendum, because wine brings one to commit adultery. Rabbi seems to view the Sota as a sinful woman and the Nazir as a person who is trying to avoid sin by avoiding wine, the Sota as a cautionary tale, and the Nazir as the one who learns the appropriate lesson. However, elsewhere in the Talmud, the Nazir is seen quite differently, not as one who is reacting wisely to a sinful activity, but rather as one who is considered to be a sinner, him or herself. Rabbi Eleazar HaKapar Barabi Omer, Mata Mulomar, Rabbi Lezahakafar, the son of Rabbi, said, And he will atone for him insofar as he sinned against the self or soul. And against which soul did he sin? Only in that he deprived himself of wine. So, is the Nazir acting wisely in refraining from drinking wine? Or is the Nazir's oath unnecessary at best and sinful at worst? Should one indulge in wine or studiously avoid it? In order to chart a path, we need to turn our attention to a passage in Masechah Gitin, which deals with the laws of divorce, and a comment that Rashi makes on that passage. Masechah Gitin assumes that divorce is initiated by a man because he has found some fault with his wife. In the discussion about finding grounds for divorce, Rabbi Meir talks about three different attitudes that a man can have towards his wife's displeasing behavior. The first attitude is most notable and is attributed to a man named Pabos ben Yehuda. Haya Rabbi Meir Omer, Kishem Rabbi 
Rabbi Meir would say, Just as there are three attitudes regarding eating, so too there are three attitudes regarding wives. You have one kind of person where a fly will fall into his wine and he throws out the wine and doesn't drink it. This is the attitude of Papos ben Yehuda, who would lock up his wife and leave. Rashi, quote-unquote, reveals the identity and explains the attitude of Papos ben Yehuda in his gloss to this passage. Papos ben Yehuda, Ba'ala shel Miriam megadla neshaya haya. Papos ben Yehuda was the husband of Mary Magdalene, Miriam Megadlan Miriam the women's hairdresser. And when he would leave his house to go to the market, he would lock the door in front of her so that she wouldn't leave. And this is not appropriate behavior. And because of this, hatred came between them, and she cheated on him. The Mikrama Farash makes a link between this comment of Rashi and the behavior of the Sota. He says that the reason why the Sota behaved in the way that she did is that her husband was acting in the way that Rashi says Papos ben Yehuda did. According to rabbinic tradition, there are two stages that need to occur before a woman can be forced to undergo the sotah ritual. First, the husband has to state his jealousy and forbid his wife from spending time with a specific man. Then, if the woman disobeys her husband's wishes by secluding herself with the man who is the object of her husband's suspicions, he can test her to see if she has been unfaithful. However, there is no limit to the number of men that the husband can warn his wife against. He could, theoretically, forbid her from talking to anyone and everyone, the equivalent of, God forbid, shutting her into the house and locking the door. The connection that the Mikrama Farash draws highlights this possibility and demonstrates how cruel, destructive, and dangerous the approach of a controlling husband is. A man might think that he is being appropriately cautious and that he is protecting his wife and their relationship by limiting her movement. He might think that by restricting whom his wife can speak to, he is preventing her from straying from him. But the opposite is true, and his approach is counterproductive. By restricting her movement and exploiting his power, he is not being responsible, he's being abusive. His wife will recognize that, and she will do whatever she can and whatever she needs to in order to undermine him, in order to escape. The Mikram Farash acknowledges that in this case, the blame on the wife who strays belongs entirely to her insecure husband. The Mishnah and Sota corroborates the fact that the Sota ritual is not only a referendum on the behavior of the wife, but also on the behavior of her husband. Just as the waters inspect her, so too the waters inspect him. This tension is also present in the way that we treat ourselves and the approach that we take towards complex and challenging situations. We too often take a completely forbidding and absolutist approach towards things that might appear dangerous. Fearing the slippery slope and favoring restriction over accommodation. The mistake that Papos ben Yehuda made with his wife 
is a mistake that we repeat, saying no to everything, when we could try to be flexible and accommodating instead. The Nazir makes this same choice. He or she decides that because wine can be an enabler of bad decisions, alcohol and wine have to be cut out entirely, from the skins to the pits. This is a sin against the self, not only or even primarily because wine is pleasurable, but because when you cut yourself off from what is permissible, it makes it even harder to resist what is truly forbidden. If everything is prohibited without exception and without regard for what is reasonable, then people will need to sin in order to survive. If what is permitted becomes forbidden, then what needs to be forbidden may end up becoming permitted. There is a time for restricting oneself from wine, as Rabbi said. When you feel yourself slipping into temptation and you witness its ill effects, that is the time to sober up. But if there is no reason to restrict yourself from wine and it is merely a form of self-deprivation and a manifestation of an overly ascetic attitude, then it is time to partake in wine, lest the restriction itself become, or at least lead to, a sin. Attempts to kill the evil inclination entirely abound in our tradition, and they are always met by defeat. The most famous attempt occurred during the Second Temple period, at the time of the prophets Zechariah and Nehemiah. Vayitzaku el Hashem Elohim b'kol gadol. My amor, amar rab v'itema rabbi Yochanan. Baya, baya, hainu haida achrevele mikdasha, v'kalei lehechalei, v'katlinu lechulu tzadikei, v'aglinu liyisrael me'ar ehon, v'adayim merakeid benan, klum yahav teilan elo lekabule be'agra, lo ihu ba'inan, v'lo agre ba'inan. Nafalahu pitka mirakia dehava kativpa emet. Amru, ha'uil v'et ratzonhu nevai rachamei ayitra da'avera. Ba'u rachamei v'imsar b'yadayhu. Amarluhu, chazu di'ikat litule lehahu kalya alma. Chavshuhu tlata yome u'ba'u be'ata ba'at yoma b'chol eret Yisrael v'lo ishtakach. Amri, hechi navid. Niktale kalya alma. Nibai rachamei Apalga, palga berakia lo yave. Kachalinhu leene vishavkuhu. They cried with a loud voice to the Lord their God. What is being said in this verse? Rav said, and some say it was Rabbi Yochanan who said, Whoa, whoa, it is the evil inclination that destroyed the temple, burned its sanctuary, murdered all the righteous ones, and caused the Jewish people to be exiled from their land. And it still dances among us. Didn't you give it to us solely for the purpose of our receiving reward for overcoming it? We do not want it, and we do not want its reward. A note fell to them from the heavens, upon which was written, Truth. They said, Since it is an auspicious time, let us pray also concerning the evil inclination for sin in the area of sexual relationships. They prayed, and it was also delivered into their hands. He said to them, See and understand that if you kill this evil inclination, the world will be destroyed. They imprisoned the evil inclination for three days. At that time, people searched for a fresh egg throughout all of Eretz Israel and could not find one.
they said, what should we do? If we kill the evil inclination, the world will be destroyed. If we pray for half of it to remain, nothing will be achieved because heaven does not grant half requests. What did they do? They gouged out the eyes of the evil inclination and set it free. The Jews in this story were traumatized by the destruction of the temple and wanted to kill the evil inclination toward idol worship and toward improper sexual behavior. But they saw that the drive toward improper sexual behavior was also part of the drive for licit sexuality. They could not kill the evil inclination and still survive. They needed to be willing to live with the danger and the possibility of sin in order to be able to live at all. The fear of the slippery slope is persistent, but the Nazir and the husband of the Sota point us to the dangers of living in fear, of blowing things out of proportion, of not being able to strike a balance, and to be willing to run the risk that is part and parcel of a small amount of freedom. They also deprive themselves of the advantage of living on the slippery slope. When you are on the slant, you have to take care not to slide down. Living with some ambiguity keeps you vigilant and wary. It keeps your muscles engaged and keeps you alive and participating in your own moral choices and personal development. The jealous husband restricts the Yetzirah by imposing restrictions on someone else. The Nazir tries to impose restrictions on him or herself. But in both cases, these overly harsh restrictions can backfire. It's important to have rules and boundaries. And it's also important to have space to breathe, to trust ourselves, and to trust others. Wishing you a Shabbat of living on the edge. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for listening to our weekly Debray Torah. To see more from our archive, please visit hadar.org slash Torah.